Well, good morning yet again. Um, it's a little weird. It's a little weird to come up here and talk to people who are not allowed to talk back. I like a little bit of feedback. I like a little bit of sound. But we're not actually supposed to be able to do that right now. And I also don't like this. I need to hold it. Um, if you remember anything about gathering in person, one of the things I always love to do was just open with a word of prayer. And so wherever you are right now, I just kind of invite you to stand and let's, let's go to God in a word of prayer. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to be here. And as you do, just, just picture yourself in the presence of God because you are, you are. So wherever you are, I invite you to lift hands, do whatever feels comfortable. Let's just enter into his presence. Father, it has been six, nearly seven long months since we've had the chance to gather in person. And Lord, you have blessed us in so many ways with the opportunity to gather together online and, and worship from our living rooms. But it's such a blessing to be able to be here in person, to see one another. We can't necessarily see smiling faces, but we see squinting eyes. And uh, that, that means all the world to us, Father. It's so good to be together and to be in your presence. And Father, as we get ready to, to get into your word this morning, I recognize that the words that come out of my mouth, if they're not accompanied by your Holy Spirit, are powerless words. But Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit in this place, these words have the, have the, the opportunity to change lives and to change hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would do that today. If there's anything within us, Lord, search our hearts. If there's anything within us, that you need to change, that you need to chisel, that you need to reshape, that you need to, to convict on. Father, help us to do that. Help us to see your way, your truth, your life. And Lord, help us to be the, the, the greatest disciples like Christ in all that we do. Let us have ears to hear, eyes to see. And Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, speak through me. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Like I said, I got to tell you, it is, it's really, really good. It's really good to be able to be here with everybody today uh, because these last six months have been quite the journey, haven't they? They've been quite the journey. And it's an interesting journey because it's a journey that, that affords us none of the opportunities of knowing exactly where we are headed. We don't know. Not a single one of us knew when we'd be able to regather. We didn't know it would be today, yet here we are. And we still don't know if this morning, as we gather all together, if this is permanent or if in three weeks the rules change again. We don't know any of that stuff. Ralph Waldo Emerson has a famous quote where he once said, it's not the destination. You've probably heard this quote before. It's not the destination, it's the journey. And while I understand those sentiments, I think I'd push back a little bit. Because the destination matters in a journey. The destination matters a great deal. I remember this one time when Tiff and I were engaged and I got inspired. I decided I wanted to do something a little romantic. And so uh, if you know anything about me at all, you know that that is not my spiritual gift. Like being a hopeless romantic is not my thing. I have to really work at it. I have to be really, really intentional in order to be that romantic person. And so I decided I was going to do something. I was going to put that effort in and make a memory for us. And so I went and I, I created a map 
I drew a map with a destination in mind, and when I'd drawn it, I cut it into like five or six different pieces, and on each piece I wrote a clue, a clue about where to find the next piece. And then I rolled all those pieces up, I shoved them inside of a balloon, and I inflated the balloon, and then I drove around town into all the proper places, and I planted this balloon there. And then the first balloon that Tiffany was gonna find was on her car when she got off work. And so Tiff got off work, she had to drive from this place to that place to another place and so on until she gathered all the balloons and all the pieces and she was able to compile all of this to complete a map to tell her where I was. And when she finally arrived there, I was next to a duck pond, had some bread so we could feed some ducks, had a picnic, all that stuff. It was really, really nice, right? Now, whether she enjoyed that little journey, you'll have to ask her, I don't know. I really have no idea, but from my point of view, I was grateful that she was willing to play along because I, I had her doing a fair amount of driving. She was going kind of all over town. And I think what was probably most maddening if I had to put myself in her shoes was that I put her on a journey where she didn't know the destination. I put her on a journey where she didn't know where she was going. She just had to trust that I was going to lead her where she needed to go. But I want you to imagine for just a moment how she might have felt if instead of six stops, she had 12 stops or 20 stops or maybe more than that. Because somewhere in there, this stops being cute and romantic, doesn't it? Somewhere in there, this starts to get really, really irritating and frustrating. Why? I'll tell you why. It's because the destination matters. The journey was designed to be fun, to be adventurous, but a, a fun journey without something better to look forward to, without a time to be still, without a time to be re to rest, that's not very fun. That's an infuriating journey. The destination matters. And so it's that infuriating reality that we've all been faced with in this season, isn't it? We don't really know where we're headed. We don't know the destination. There's so much we don't know. And if we had known, if we'd known that this was gonna last six months or, or 12 months or whatever it might be, we could prepare ourselves emotionally. We could prepare ourselves spiritually. We could prepare ourselves financially but we don't know. And so COVID has been this journey without a known destination and the destination matters. So we are currently in week two of our new sermon series that we're calling Greater Than. Raise your hand if you got a chance to watch week one, if you're able to participate in that. Awesome. You're going to be so much better off in week two. But Greater Than is a sermon series that's designed to walk through the book of Hebrews together. And like I said last week, Hebrews is this incredibly rich text that is going to grow your understanding of God's word in so many wonderful ways. And yet it's this text that because there's so much going on in, it's so easy to get lost in and get, get off track with all that the writer pulls from because he's pulling from Old Testament references and passages all over the place. Sorry if I sound a little winded, this mask kind of sucks in as I talk here. So last week we, we covered Hebrews chapter 1 in Hebrews chapter 2, and we discovered one basic truth that the writer wanted us to understand, that Jesus is greater than the angels. He says he's far superior to the angels. And so while angels are important, while angels have been messengers of God, Jesus is a greater messenger, and he brings a greater message. And this is so important for us to understand. You know, I had some time 
as I was thinking this week, as we were getting ready for our fellowship group on Zoom on Monday night, and I was reflecting a little bit more on, on what I had taught, what I'd shared last Sunday. And I couldn't help but feel like last week's message still left kind of one key idea a little underdeveloped. And I wanted to circle back around on that briefly this morning. Because the, the message that the angels brought, and this is again, this is written from the perspective of the Hebrew writer. The message that they brought is a message that according to the writer falls short. It's a message uh, about the law and how, how, how the law doesn't measure up to the message that Jesus brought. Why? Because the message that Jesus brought was not a message of law. It was a message of salvation. And so I was thinking about, about Romans chapter 7 where Paul begins to talk about the relationship between law and, and, and Jesus. And he says that the law was good that the law was holy, that the law was righteous. And yet Paul still says something interesting. He says, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. He says, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. And so death was the result of the message that the angels brought, but salvation, life, was the result of the message that Jesus brought. And so Jesus became the greater messenger with the greater message. Are you guys tracking with me so far? Head nods work. Okay. And so this week, the writer of Hebrews turns their attention once again to another key figure in the Old Testament, somebody that a lot of us are familiar with. His name is Moses. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Moses before. Awesome. Then there may be somebody here who hasn't heard the story of Moses before. So I want to give you a quick recap. The people of God, the Israelites, the Hebrews, we call them, had spent a period of time in, in Egypt and they were greatly oppressed. They were enslaved there. They were given hard labor and they spent 400 years there in slavery, crying out to God from their oppression, crying out for deliverance. And God finally raises up a man and his name is Moses. And Moses rescues them and he leads them out of captivity and into a journey, a journey with an actual destination. Hold that thought. I'll be right back. <laughs> now, sometimes we call that destination Canaan. Other times we call it the promised land. But it was the best of the best of the best land. It was the best that, that God could give on earth. And so the Bible says this is a land that was flowing with milk and honey. This is sweet land. This is great land. And as they went on their journey from, from Egypt to Canaan, God did miracle after wonder, after sign, to show them all the ways in which he would powerfully lead them in which he would powerfully protect them. And so he sent plagues on the nation of Egypt so that Pharaoh in his hard heart would let them go. He parted the Red Sea so they could walk through, not on wet land, but on dry land. He brought the Red Sea, he collapsed the Red Sea down on Pharaoh's army to completely get rid of the threat of God's people as they pursued him. He led them by a pillar of cloud. I picture something like a tornado. But he led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to show them the path and to light their way. 
He rained down manna, daily bread from heaven every day. So they had something to eat. And when they were thirsty, they could strike a rock and he would bring water from a rock. Who gets to drink from a rock? It's incredible stuff. You know, we often say things when we, when we come across trouble in our own lives or in our friends' lives or in families' lives, we often say things like, man, God's going to take care of you. God's not going to let you deal with more than you can bear. He's going he's to meet your needs. He's going to do whatever needs to be done. And it's usually when we say those things, it's with the, the expectation that whatever your trouble is, whatever you're dealing with, your trouble will soon end. It, it has an end in sight. And so when you're running short on funds and we say that, we're expecting that in some way God's going to bring forth some money and he's going to take care of the needs that you have. Or if you're short on food, he'll feed you. If you, if you need help in some way, he's going to come through in some way. Have you ever had God come through in some miraculous way when you were in need? Absolutely. That's what God does, right? So that's what we're talking about here. And those are very real and wonderful things that all of us have experienced. But they're very different than the way in which God was taking care of the Hebrews or the Israelites here in the wilderness because he miraculously gave them everything they needed. And, and Moses was here as their leader. In fact, not only was Moses their leader, but he was such a good man that we, we get a little bit more clarity into who he was in Numbers chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. Again, we can't hand out Bibles. So if you have a Bible with you, awesome. If you have your app, I definitely encourage you to use that. We're going to be in Numbers and we're going to be in Hebrews a lot today. But Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, here's what Numbers says. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And I find this hilarious because if you know anything about Numbers, who is Numbers supposed to be written by? Moses, right? So this is Moses calling Moses the most humble man that ever lived. Now, some people go, well, maybe Numbers wasn't written by Moses, but that's our traditional understanding. And I find that hilarious. Nevertheless, God's not done. A few verses later in, in, verse, chap, in verse 6 of Numbers 12, God shares even more. And, and he basically says that, hey, when I speak to any other prophet, whoever that prophet may be, I speak to them through visions. I speak to them through dreams. I speak to them in riddles, but not with Moses, guys. Moses, he says, Moses is different. Moses is special. He says with Moses, God says he speaks to Moses face to face. He speaks to him clearly, not in riddles like he does everybody else. And that Moses even sees the form of God. This is an intimate relationship that God has with Moses. And so that's the background. That's the understanding of who Moses is that the writer of Hebrews is writing when he says what he says about Moses. So let's pick up in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 2. This is where we left off last week at Hebrews 3, 1. But, but chapter 3, verse 2 of Hebrews says, He, or Jesus, was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus, he says, has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor 
than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So I want you to think, what is the writer saying here? What's his point? They're saying that as great as Moses was, and he was great, he was still just serving in a house that belonged to God, but Jesus is different. He was greater because he is not in God's house. He is over God's house. Jesus holds authority that Moses will never have. And what is God's house? It's us. That's what Hebrews says. It's us. If, there's a caveat, if we hold on to courage and hope in Jesus. Give me a thumbs up if you want to hold on to courage and hope in Jesus. Amen. And that's a key statement. That's a key statement from the writer to everyone he's writing to, because as we talked about last week, this was written to a group of people who are losing focus in Jesus. This is written to a group of people who are losing faith in Jesus. This is, losing, this is written to a group of people who are losing trust in Jesus. And they're likely running back to some old habits. And what I think the, the writer of Hebrews is saying is they're running back to putting their trust in some of the stuff that the angels brought them, as we talked last week. They're running back to putting their trust in their ability to obey the law, their obedience to the law. And the problem is that if you put your trust there, if you put your trust in your ability to be obedient, it'll never be good enough, and there will never be rest. And so the writer of Hebrews, in order to illustrate that point, goes back to the Moses story, and he he references a psalm that is written by King David in Psalm 95. And here's what Psalm 95 says. This is also in Hebrews chapter 3. And so it says, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. And so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And I want you to pay really special attention to that word rest because it's going to be a theme that we're going to talk about from here on out. One commentary I read this week mentioned that it was almost as if when the writer of Hebrews wrote this, he had the book of Numbers opened up as he was doing so because so so many things that he's referencing come back to Numbers, including Psalm 95. Because what King David is writing in Psalm 95 is actually a reference itself back to Numbers chapter 14. Because Numbers 14 is all about 
God saving and leading and providing for his people. All the stuff that he did in the wilderness. All the things that he did to rescue his people. And yet, they still refused to put their trust and faith in God. And so, as Moses and the people finally approached this long-awaited promised land, one of the things they were supposed to do was send spies into the promised land. It was like, hey, go in there, check things out, come back and tell us what you see. And so they do. They, and they come back, and here's the report that they give. They said, guys, if only we had died when we were in Egypt or in this wilderness. Who or why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives, our children, they're going to be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us just to go back to Egypt? Why aren't we here? Let's just turn around. Let's go back. Wouldn't that be better than walking into this land and getting slaughtered? You see, all they can see in that moment is that these nations that live in the land are strong. They're stronger than they are. They're more numerous than they are. And they've already lost focus on the bigness of God. Do you see what's happening here? They've already lost focus in who God is, his bigness, his care, and most importantly, his promise. They've lost focus on the promise of God. And I want to ask you this. Give me a a head shake, yes or no. Does God break his promises, church? God's not a God who breaks promises. And so God looks at Moses and he says, Moses, how long are these people going to treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've performed among them? He says, I'm going to strike them down with a plague and destroy them. I will make you, Moses, into a great nation and stronger than they. So God's fed up. He's fed up. But Moses says, don't do that, God. Because if you do that, he says, Egypt is going to hear about it and they're going to mock you like you couldn't finish what you started. They're going to mock you like you're not a God who keeps your promises. And so God says, fine, I'll forgive them. But I'm going to tell you this, they will never enter the rest that I had planned for them. This generation, he says, will never enter the promised land. He says, they spent 40 days wandering around in Canaan, spying the land. He says, for every day they were in there, I'm going to give them a year to walk around in the wilderness. So 40 years, they're going to walk around in the wilderness until this generation passes away and their kids will get a chance to go into the land. And so what the book of Hebrews wants the reader to understand about this passage, what this writer writing to these struggling Christians wants them to be able to connect the dots on is that by the time they came to the land that God had promised to them, without realizing it, they never saw it coming, without realizing it, their hearts had already wandered away from God. They didn't see it coming. They didn't know it had happened. God said he was angry because their hearts had become hard. I want you to think about this. Put yourself in their shoes. After all they had seen, after all the rocks they drank from and seas they had walked through, all that stuff, after all they'd witnessed, they had no faith in this moment that God could or would do what he said he'd do. They just saw strong armies and they thought, we're going to get slaughtered. And so the Hebrews writer draws a parallel. It's like he's saying, like, I, I know you guys are struggling right now. He's talking to the Christians 
here in Hebrews. I know you're struggling right now, but think back to our ancestors. Think back to those people in the wilderness. Don't be like them. Don't forget who God is. Don't forget what God has done and don't let sin harden your hearts and deceive you. Man, I got to tell you, I don't know how many people during COVID have either thought or made the decision, I'm not sure I trust God anymore. With all the things that's going on, I'm not sure I believe that God actually cares about us, that God can actually overcome all that's going on right now. I've heard, I've heard little allusions to that from people, not at Lake Merced, but just, just in my general circle of friends. Because sometimes in these moments, we, we begin to doubt who God is. We can't see God in the midst of our suffering. And we don't know why. But Hebrews says it might have something to do with where our hearts have wandered to. It might have something to do with, with the sin that's in our lives that can actually harden our hearts because that's what sin does. That from the very first sin, way back in Genesis chapter 3, sin is rooted not in a lack of understanding. It's rooted not in some simple oversight, like, oh, I didn't realize that was a sin. Sin is rooted so much deeper than that, that whenever the Bible mentions a hard heart, there's usually an accompanying phrase that goes with it. And that phrase is this, the people refused to listen. They had hard hearts and they refused to listen. It's not that they would have done the right thing if they simply knew what the right thing was. It's that they knew what the right thing was and they chose to do something different. I want you to raise your hand if you have ever known the right thing to do but refused to listen. I got to tell you, church, I mean, I, I, there isn't a day or a week that goes by that I don't feel the conviction of that reality in my life. That is my life story. And I suspect... It's a story that, that relates or resonates with each of you to some degree. A few minutes ago, I mentioned Romans chapter 7. And if you read Romans chapter 7, in fact, I encourage you this week, go read Romans chapter 7, all of it. But that's what Paul's saying. You guys have heard this line before. Paul says, I, for I do not do the good I want to do. I don't do the good I want to do. But he says, the evil I do not want to do, that's what I keep doing. That's what I keep doing. And he says, what a wretched man I am. Like that most, might be the most relatable line in the entire Bible to me. That the good I want to do, I can't do. And the evil I don't want to do, I do. Over and over and over again. And so sin does all these things to us. It changes who we are. But chief among them is that sin deceives us into being self-reliant and it begins to harden our heart a little bit like i work hard i earned it i want it i deserve it and so when we think about sin who's the mvp of sin point at yourself guys the mvp of sin is me is me and god's over here saying guys i want to be your mvp i want to be the most valuable thing in your life not you he wants his people to not be thinking about themselves, to not be impressed with themselves, but with relying, totally relying on him. And so the writer of Hebrews takes in the entirety of Moses' story, and in verse 19, he reminds them of how the Moses journey 
ended. He said, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. They weren't able to go in because of their unbelief. Not even Moses entered. Why? It's because, in, at least for a brief moment in time, their trust was in who? It was in themselves. It was in themselves. And when you put your hope and your trust in your, yourself and your ability to be obedient to the commands and the law, who are you putting your trust in? You're putting your trust in me. I can do all the right things. I don't need grace. I don't need forgiveness. I don't need any of that because I can do all the right things. And that's the subtle seduction that Hebrews is contending with. Let me ask you this. Is the law bad? Go like this. The law is not bad. But if you think obedience to the law is what's going to, get, what's going to save you, he, the Hebrew writers would say you've lost sight of who God is. And so Hebrews 4 gives us a summarizing statement. He says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Guys, the Israelites lacked faith. And they lost their opportunity there in the desert to enter the promised land, to enter the rest that God had in store for them. God didn't abandon his promise. He fulfilled it with their children. But that generation lost. And so they went on a journey, but they failed in their destination. And so the author reminds the reader that the, the greater rest that Jesus has promised and that greater destination, it still stands. It's still there for us. It's still an opportunity for us to be faithful. It says in verse 2 of chapter 4, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who believed or obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. And so as Hebrews 4 continues, the writer begins to hearken back. He goes back to creation, that when God created all that was, there were six days of work, and on the seventh, he rested. It's a, it's a reference to what we've come to know as, as a Sabbath rest of God, that rest was a gift that God modeled and then gave to humanity as a gift. Rest was something that was never found in an incomplete week. Rest was found in a complete week. Just like rest is never found in an incomplete journey. Rest is found in a complete journey. Rest is found in the destination. The destination matters, church. But for the Israelites, rest was in the promised land. Yet for the, the writer of Hebrews, or the, the reader of Hebrews, there is a greater rest that still stands, and it is rest in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And so the writer begins to remind of, of other key figures. He said it was David, King David, that spoke about a greater rest. And he said, if you hear his voice, God's voice, do not harden your hearts. The Hebrews writer reminds the reader of, of Joshua, that Joshua, 40 years after this event, did help the Israelites go into the promised land. But he says that rest that they found there, that wasn't the true rest. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been talk about an upcoming day. There was still a greater and truer rest that was yet to come. And so Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 says, 
there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. And so let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. He says, anyone who enters God's rest rests from their works. It's not about obedience to law. It's not about obedience to the commands. It's not about works or what you do. What is it about? It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about what he did. It's about his ability to be obedient to the commands. It's about his ability to completely and perfectly fulfill the law and the prophets. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is not just the new and great messenger with a new and greater message. Jesus is the new and greater Moses, and he offers a new and greater rest. That is what the Hebrews writer is saying. It's a, it's a greater destination for this journey that we call life. And we're all on that journey, aren't we, church? We're all on that journey, and Jesus offers us a greater rest and a greater destination for this journey. And so Moses was awesome. Moses was humble. Moses was, was a man who saw God face to faith. He was, he was wonderful. But when all of those people, when, when all that they witnessed, let me say this again, in the midst of everything that they witnessed, as great as Moses was, Moses couldn't lead them home. He didn't bring them into the land of rest. He didn't bring them to the promised land. It is Jesus who leads us home. If, if we do not harden our hearts, if we do not remain obstinate, if we do not put trust in ourselves, and if we put our trust where? Point toward him, church. Go like this. If we put our trust in him, we enter his rest not by what we do, not by how well we do it, but by doing what the Israelites never could. By combining what you are hearing today, the message of truth, the word of God, with faith. Not with the, you know, like kind of a faint allusion to faith, but like actual faith, actual trust that God will do what he says he's going to do. You have to combine those. And so the Bible tells us in Psalm 55, to give our problems, to give our burdens, to give our cares to God, not to keep them for ourselves. Jesus says something similar in Matthew 11. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He says, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. The, the Hebrew readers were, were getting weighed down by a yoke, by a burden. It was a, it was a yoke of strict obedience to law. And Jesus reminds us that the Sabbath rest of God, that rest for your soul, isn't found in anything you can do. It's found in Him. The destination matters. And if Jesus is your destination, there is rest for your soul. There's rest. And here's the thing. If you've ever gotten in the car with someone just to, to, just to go with him, it, it's, it's really, really easy to lose sight 
of where you're going, the destination. You don't really care. You're just sitting there. You kind of put your trust that the driver knows where he's going. You tune out. You take in the scenery. It's not something you're, you're spending a whole lot of time worrying about. This is what I used to do as a kid when I'd get in the car with my parents. I trusted that they knew where they were going. I didn't really care. I didn't really ask questions. I just got in. But what happens when you begin to drive on your own and you know what the destination is and someone takes the wrong turn, what do you start to say? Hey, where, where are we going? I know where we're headed and you're not, you're going in the opposite direction. Where are we going right now? You know, there are a lot of people, a lot of Christians who've shown up to church, who've, who've sang songs, who've read the book, who've prayed the prayers, who focus so much on what they do that they've begun to deceive themselves into thinking that it's what you do that saves you. And so there's a mentality in faith, even today, not here with this group necessarily, but, but just in general, that affirms that because you're here every Sunday, rain or shine, you're well on your way to glory. Well, the writer of Hebrews would encourage you to stop. He would encourage you to consider, are you actually putting your trust in what you are doing, in your ability to behave righteously in man's eyes, or when nobody else is looking? If someone knew the depths of your heart, if they saw what happens in the dark behind closed doors, if they knew you to the core of who you were, would they see a person whose entire reliance is on what Jesus has done for you? Is that what they'd see? See, just because you're on the journey doesn't mean you're headed for the right destination. And, it's, 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 and just because you can answer Bible trivia questions and you know the lyrics to the songs doesn't mean you've truly believed and trusted in the message of grace and salvation. And so it's here at the end of Hebrews chapter 4 where he finishes his thought. He says, for the word of God, you guys probably know this verse well, is alive and it's active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It judges, or joints and marrow, sorry. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. He says nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. It, it's a reminder and, and maybe even a warning that if you think you can hide your true heart from God, that you're sorely mistaken because God is a living God and God is an active God and God will dig deep into your heart and he will see what's truly there. So what are your true thoughts? What is your true attitude? Because nothing, nothing deep within you is going to stay hidden in God's sight. And I think sometimes we need that reminder, church. I know I need that reminder sometimes that while obedience to God's word is, is vitally important, don't, don't misunderstand that. It will never be enough to save us. Jesus is the one who is enough to save us. I was watching a, a video this week from the Bible Project. It was a video on sin. And there was one little, little line in there that, that caught my eye. They said something interesting. They said a fascinating thing about sin in the Bible is that most of the time people are failing they either don't know it 
or they think they're succeeding. Most of the time people are failing, they either don't know it or they think they're succeeding. So the destination matters because for the, for the reader of Hebrews, Moses won't lead you to rest and Joshua won't lead you to rest and David didn't lead them to rest. And our ability to, to follow most of the commands, to show up routinely, to sing the songs and generally be a really big fan of Jesus, it won't lead to rest. Rest is found when you surrender your entire self and your entire trust into the daily bread. When you believe that red seas can still part and when you see the gentle ways that Jesus comes into your life and he guides and he illuminates the path. When you follow where he leads and when you get into his car for a journey that leads to the ultimate destination. Because church, the work to save you has already been done. Jesus hung on a cross 2,000 years ago. He breathed his last breath and he said, it is finished. The work has been done already, church. It is finished. And so next week, we're going to continue on in Hebrews. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the role of high priest and where Jesus fits into that. But for now, for now, Jesus invites you into his rest where you don't have to be smart enough. You don't have to be strong enough. You don't have to be good enough or loving enough. You don't have to be perfect enough. You don't have to be learned enough. You don't otherwise have to be deserving enough. Why? Because you, point at yourself like this, everyone, point at yourself. You are already loved enough. You're already loved enough. So the question is, will you receive Jesus' love and his rest for your entire life? Or will you remain reliant on your own abilities to get you there? You'll be lost on that journey if you do, because there really is no destination that leads to rest when you rely on you. It's just death. But when you rely on Jesus, you find life. Jesus offers something greater. He offers to lead you from your captivity, from your slavery to sin, just like he did in Egypt all those years ago, and bring you into a greater promised land. Jesus is a new and a greater Moses. And he leads us to a new and greater rest. And he invites all of you to join him. I know sometimes I can feel a whole lot like those hard-hearted people that the Hebrews writer is talking about. People who just, without realizing it, I begin to, to veer and wonder from God. And when times get tough, I start relying on, on me, myself, and I, rather than being still and bringing it to him. My invitation and my, my, my challenge for you this morning is that if God is calling you, if God's putting something on your heart this morning, don't let your pride, don't let your ego, don't let your desire to look strong get in the way. Sometimes we're, we're too worried about what he might think about me or what she might think about me if I admit that I'm not perfect. Well, guess what, church? Raise your hand if you're not perfect. That's all of us. That's all of us. Rest is for those who are courageous enough to admit that they are powerless over sin. Raise your hand if you are powerless over sin in your life. And if you want to put that trust in Jesus. Church, let's, let's close with a word of prayer.
Father, I, I want to thank you for this time to come together today and, and for the message that we, we get to hear from Hebrews. It's, it's a powerful reminder to us that sometimes, without even realizing it, we start to doubt that you are big enough and strong enough to, to overcome the, the barriers and the opposition and the challenges in our lives. We might see COVID and forget that you're big enough and strong enough to overcome even this challenge. And so, Father, if there's any part of that in our hearts right now, I pray that you would see it. I pray that you would come into our lives, and little by little, you'd start chiseling. Little by little, you'd start chipping away. Little by little, you would take our hard hearts and make them soft. Take away that, that temptation, that seduction, to believe that I have to be strong enough, to believe that I have to be perfect enough, to believe that, that somehow this is, is found in, in my ability to do anything. And Father, soften my heart to receive the grace and mercy and the rest that comes through Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would bless us in this way. I ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.